Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's not late later on Sunday. Um, and I want to take this opportunity, since I'll be engaged in big enterprises this week, um, to do the Haftarah podcast, which is being sponsored uh, already by Ida, uh, by, excuse me, I'm sorry, by Lou Goldberg. Um, as he says, in honor, this he did already last week, in honor of the engagement of his grandson, Ellie Bogart, to Rivi Golaskov. That's nice. Um, for a Haftarah podcast. So, Mazel Tov, and... I thank the Goldbergs as always, now as in the past, for being sponsors. And let me talk a few words about Daftor this week, which is unusual because it's really from stuff we do in the summer. Roni Akarab, from the second part of the book of Isaiah, of Yeshayo, um, with all these Nechamos, you know, these comfort prophecies. And the only reason, at least ostensibly, that it's in the Haftor of Noach, because we're past the season of the Shiva and the those post-Tishabov Haftorahs. Uh, the only reason it's in this one, in this week's Haftorah is because in Isaiah 54, he talks about the flood. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the only place in the Bible where it talks about the flood. Isn't that interesting? Uh, you don't find the Mabel, uh I think, I believe, you don't find the Mabel anywhere else in the Tanakh. And even in today's Haftorah, in Yeshayo Nundalid, it doesn't call it the Mabel, it calls it the main Noah, the waters of Noah. But we understand what that means. <clears throat> and the spin that the prophet Isaiah puts on it is a very interesting one. Uh, and that has to do with the following. Uh, you know, there are two ways of reading second Ephesia. You can do like the Bible critics, or you do like the from. The Bible critics will say he's talking about, you know, second Isaiah and the, and the Shibat Sion, when the people return in the time of Zerubbabel and so forth. But from people don't go for that. Therefore, the question is, what's Yeshayo talking about? And I would say, at least I usually say, it has to do with um, something I'm planning to do on my trip to Israel this time. I hope it'll work out. And that is go to Lachish, which is the site of the um, Assyrian uh, siege of one of the Judahite cities, which is mentioned in the uh, Assyrian Chronicles and also tangentially in the Tanakh itself. Uh, the siege of Lachish, and has to do with the Holocaust that took place in the time of the prophet Isaiah. That's my interpretation. Uh, so no, Yeshai is not talking necessarily about something in the future, although you can always learn it like that. Uh, it could be talking about something, I mean, in the distant future, but he's talking about something in the rather immediate future, although it always has, you know, Mashiach time meanings also, and that's how most people take these chapters in Yeshayahu. Uh, the key point goes as follows. The Claudius went through a, a, a holocaust of some kind or another. I mean, a lot of people got killed. The question then becomes like this. So what do you do now? So many carbonates, so many terrible things happened to so many Jews. Uh, it's enough to make you get so depressed that you give up the will to continue to live, to continue to survive as Jews. 
We have witnessed this in 1945 in the aftermath, when there were plenty of Jews, and I do understand them, I'm not judging them, who said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, out of the war's over, I'm going to go and intermarry and hide my Jewish identity and pretend, you know, that I'm not Jewish, so that the next time a Hitler comes along, which won't be that long, my, me or my children, my grandchildren, and so forth, will be spared. Uh, in fact, there was a guy who wrote a book advocating that L'Chathchil after the war, uh, Arthur Kessler, a, a famous novelist, a real jerk, but he was a good novelist. Boy, what a jerk. But he was a good novelist. And um, like I say, I hear the vort. And it's kind of famous that if the state of Israel hadn't jumped up immediately after the Holocaust, three years after the Holocaust, Vervase, how many Jews would have abandoned their Jewish identity? I think you're aware, many people, you read articles in, you know, your Mishpachat-type magazines and those sorts of things, or in Israel, Makar whatever, and, you know, there's a ton of people out there in Central and Eastern Europe, and maybe Western Europe, that are going, 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 no, they're not. And maybe on a deathbed, a grandmother will say, I just want to tell you, you're really Jewish. Well, you know, things like that, you hear it all the time. And that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, and one of the reasons that in some of your Eastern European countries, there's like a certain interest in, believe it or not, in Judaism, especially, I don't mean they want to become Jewish, but in Jewish culture and Jewish part of their history, as in Poland, for example. I had never been in Poland, but I know from my good friend, Professor Shapiro, Robert Shapiro, that he was there at that new museum that they put up, and there are Jewish uh I would call Fiddler on the Roof festivals and things like that. And why should Polacks be interested in that sort of thing? And to a lesser degree in Lithuania and elsewhere. And there's all kind of reasons. One of the reasons is a lot of these people, despite what they look like and what they tell you their name is, all the rest of it, really are Jewish. They just, you know, went in, into denial of their Jewish identity and blended in either after 1945 or maybe earlier than that and things like this. Part of who we are. Now, We've had our share of Holocaust. And you have to understand, this happened repeatedly in Jewish history. In the in 1492 by Spain, it happened in 1096 by the Crusades. There's a lot of people that left Judaism and, you know, maybe they kept up some Jewish little things in their family. Maybe later on they came back to Judaism. It's, it's a very complicated subject. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is, in the time of Yeshayahu, so he lived in the time of Chizkiah. Ochaz Chizkiah and Menashe. So, uh, the the international situation at that time was the danger to all the countries in the Middle East from Ashur, uh, the Assyrian Empire, which was the northern half of Iraq. Uh, even today, Chas Khalil, Iraq should come big and powerful. They go right after Israel. That's who they are. I just read an article uh, from some lady, some expert, in Haaretz, or wherever it was, Iraq now is in Gahaktatsaris, and the whole country's falling apart, and there's not enough water for people, and it's unbelievable state of disintegration, and chaos, and I said, I got no problem with that, because I know what would happen if they ever got their act together. As a matter of fact, the Iraqi parliament, if I remember correctly, not so long ago passed a law that if anybody says anything good about Israel, he's Chayv Misa. I'll say it again, he's Chayv Misa. You see that? So that's who you're dealing with. So the Sinah goes back thousands of years. And in the time of Yeshayahu, who's the author of the Haftorah today, 
so uh, the state of Israel, or the kingdom of Judah, may I say, because the Assyrians wiped out, as you know, the ten tribes of the north. That's part of what they did to us. So the remainder was the king of Yehuda, which is Yehuda ben Yaman and Levi, whatever. Uh, they had to really dance on eggs not to provoke an attack from Ashur. And they were not successful uh, for various reasons. I mean, it's too long to go into, but to put it in simple terms, Chizkiyo did not listen to Yeshayahu, right? Okay, whatever. Even though he's a from guy, but, you know, I think I, 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 one gets the impression that Chizkiyo figured the Yeshayahu is good for Beisamigda stuff, getting rid of Avodazar, all which is very important, restoring Lehman Torah, all which is very important. But how you should handle Zich with foreign empires... That uh, he didn't listen to, and he was uh, seduced by the Egyptians and things like that. Now, why am I bringing all this background? Because you look at, um, well, let, let's put it this way. The result was that he played his cards bad. He provoked Ashur, and the Assyrian Empire, which was at the peak of its might, under Sancheriv, invaded the kingdom of Judah. Um, we don't think too much about it. Like I say, I hope when I get to Israel, Mir Hashem in January, on the trip, I hope to make a big deal out of this when we get to Lachish, because this is a Holocaust that most Jews are aware of, and had profound consequences. The Messianic prophecies that we all go with are are, are coming in the wake of this invasion. Uh, you know, here in our Alma Harvey, a lot of Bain, which the Christian religion built the whole thing out of. Now, in the case of uh, Yeshayo and, 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 and Arhav Torah, so the king of Yehuda was devastated. It was invaded by Ashur. And when they were in the one-yard line, as I always say, about to hit a touchdown, God intervened and sent an angel and wiped out the Assyrian army, or most of it. And then they fled, and they were not able to conquer Yehuda. This is the famous water shtick you go to when you visit Yerushalayim. Now they tell Yechizkiah's tunnel that he built for that siege, etc., etc. So Yerushalayim itself held out, but the rest of the country did not. And the rest of the country was devastated, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. And now it's over. And now what? And Yeshayo is saying, Rani Akar lo Yoloda. Uh, you know, seeing you barren woman is not given birth. That is to say, like this um, the, you, the people felt themselves to be like Akar. The, imagine, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something terrible. Uh, the people had whole families that killed them, were, children were killed by the invaders. Okay, because the as he put it over there, the children of Yerushalayim, but the desolate outnumbered the children of the inhabited city. Okay, but and here's the point: Yeshayahu goes on now in our half Torah to say that now you're going to see a revival, and this is part of who the Jewish people are. It's a fundamental feature of our history. This funny cycle that we have. Then we have a Corbin followed by a revival, then we reach a certain peak, and then comes a Corbin again, and then, you know, slowly but surely comes a revival. Um, the Phoenix-like, many have written on this. There's a very famous book from the Haskalah, Mernavuch Asman, all about this subject from a secular perspective. And, uh, uh, you know, th these are well-known themes. In your lifetime, in my lifetime, we, uh, when I say that, I mean, we're all younger than this. But, you know, in the last century, let's put it this way, we had the Holocaust and then they had the, the rise of the state of Israel, which, as I always point out, whatever the original founders had in mind has become a giant Malcolm Torah, such as never existed. You know, 
I'm not saying that's what's the plan of Herzl and Ben-Gurion, but that's what happened. At the end of the day, you know, who is it? Reporter said, Ruben the Ruben the Burnisham runs the world. So, whatever you, you know, want to say about that, the, the fact of the matter is, we've had a tremendous revival. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of the key features of our time. Now, we shouldn't go in and, and lose it again. So, it's totally understandable that people who live through such terrible times give up. Um, I had relatives, my mother had relatives, a sister, for example, who after the war, and it, uh, again, I, I don't blame her, she went through Auschwitz, and, you know, she didn't get married, she, just, she basically was in a permanent blue funk. She spent the rest of her life from 1945 to 68 living in uh, Czechoslovakia and Bratislava. She could have got out, but she didn't care to. And she more, you know, she more or less was, uh, you know, I'm I'm overdoing it a little bit. She more or less was a permanent state of depression, which I'll say again, is 100% understandable for people who went through what she went through. The point, though, is that that can happen. And then you have, like you're giving Hitler another victory, as they say over here. You're, you're allowing the Corbin that happened to you to block, you know, efforts that are necessary to bounce back. And the Jewish people, like any people, can only survive if they can bounce back. And therefore, in our Haftorah, the Prophet Yeshayahu says that don't worry, the Akara will have children. And one day, the city, which is very narrow, will have to spread into new neighborhoods. I mean, this is actually going on in Yerushalayim as we speak today. Broaden the place of your tent, stretch out the currents of your dwelling, Lengthen the cords and strengthen, strengthen your pegs. Uh, these are all the new neighborhoods. And you know, the government in Israel holds back the um, real estate to some degree, because maybe they have to. If they had no holds barred on the real estate development, the whole country would be like one big, you know, development. You see what I'm saying? That's what happened in our time. Now, uh, I... You just went through a terrible times. It's true. It's true. But it doesn't matter. You know, Hashem will take you back, as he puts it. Hashem, that God you know, treated you like a woman who was forsaken and, and was a, a depressed. Well, they were during the Chorban. I'll say again, the Chorban that Sanacher put on the on the southern kingdom. And you're like the, 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 the wife of one's youth will become despised. But, and here's the point, but, I was only angry for a short moment, I'll, I'll take you back with abundant mercy. And so what he's saying is like this, we do have, sadly, a terrible collapse in Jewish history. They usually they usually are of relatively short duration. Now, I don't want to, you know, I'm the last person in the world to make light of the terrible things that happened like in World War II and even in World War One, uh, but if you want to get down to chronological facts, it was a couple of years. Now I, I repeat, that doesn't take away from the quality of the terrible stuff that was happening. Six million people got killed. We know all that. That's hundred percent true. But then it was over. You, you see my point? And ever since then, has been rebuilding. That's what. That's been the pattern in history. And it's not only my word. The Rambam says it. Here, let me get this over here. This is the Rambam I remember in the uh, Geras Hashmad. Hold on for a second. And here it is. I found it. It's it's in the actually in the Geras Tamun. My mistake. 
where he's writing to the Jews in Yemen about the terrible persecution they were going through in his time in in the middle 1100s. Now, I'm not comparing what happened in Yemen with with Hitler's Holocaust, but nevertheless, it was terrible, and that was the Holocaust at the time of the Rambam. Well, he lived through another one in Spain also, a uh, religious Holocaust. And he's writing to them very famously. I think, you know, I'm reading a translation from the Arabic, of course, and he, and it's very wonderful. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the Geras Taman, that's something you should read, uh, you know, in this new year. And you, I write to you now, my brothers in Yemen. Don't you know that there was a terrible shmad in the time of Nebuchadnezzar and everybody had to worship idols? You know, it's that, that uh, giant statue, uh, statue in Bikas Dura. Except for Daniel Khanim Shazai, everybody else had to worship that idol. But it was temporary. Because in the end, it was bad when it happened. It was terrible. And you know, for Rambam to have to worship idols is really bad. But um it was you know, because the Gemara says you know. So he says, um, it was bad, but in the end God wiped out Nebuchadnezzar, there's nothing left of him. And we're still here. Because of MS, the heavy Nimuso, his whole religion went down the tubes. And, and, you know, in other words, the Babylonian religion disappeared. Because of MS, and the Torah went back to being what it was. And when the Greeks did all kinds of stuff before Hanukkah, to destroy the Torah, that you have to write on your uh, horn of the ox that you re- renounce the God of Israel, and so on and so forth. And the Rambam, I, this is the way he has it in the Chronicles. I'm not saying exactly this way, but I'm reading what the Rambam says to make a point. And that this Xerab, uh lasted a half century. Uh, not just uh, five years like Hitler. You know, half century is a long time. Uh, so it was a, like a reign of terror on Yiddishkeit for a half century. But eventually, the Greeks and the whole thing got wiped out. So in other words, these things are temporary. And the Chazal, many times in the Gemara, a whole bunch of times, say, they, they, they tell a, a story in the Agatha. The government made a, a, a decree of Shemad and Klai Yisrael, Shalom Yisrael, and here we Shalom Yisrael. Here we are today. You understand? Kach v'kach Gazrael Ham. They made such whatever Xeris they made. Achim Avat Al Baris Baruch Xerihi Majvusa, and the good Lord, in His own way, you know, um, got rid of it. So, to use modern terminology, he had a guy like Hitler. God organized it that he should provoke England, France. I'm sorry, uh, U.S., Britain, and Russia. They ganged up and wiped him out. Now, I, I say again, I'm not stupid. I know that six million got killed in the middle. But I'm just saying that his point is that it, it, it comes and it goes. Therefore, you can regard it as a flood. That's what my whole point is today. You can look at these catastrophes as a flood followed by rebuilding. And that's why it says in our Haftorah, Ki mezos right? Listen to this. For a short time, I did Hester Ponyam on you. But afterwards, I followed up with a long-term chesed. Because I regard the survival of Klai Yisrael as something I'm committed to in the same way that I'm committed 
to the non-destruction of the earth by water, because in this week's parsha, of course, in Noah, we all know that after the flood, God says, I'm never going to do it again. Noah is like the waters of Noah. This is, like I said, the only reference to to the, the flood. I took an oath, God says. To, that there will be never another flood like this. I took an oath never to get so angry at you and wipe you out, to get angry at you again. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that there won't be any other holocaust, uh, because there have been, but you'll never be able to wipe them out. As he puts it over here, the mountains will disappear before I, uh, um, before I uh, uh, give up on you, Klai Yisrael. You know, no, that's just a rhetorical expression. Before this happens, the, the, the very mountains themselves will disappear, which they won't. So that's another way of saying that you will not have another Corbin, like a thoroughgoing Corbin of the of the type that the flood represents. You see, it's very interesting. The marble represents the final solution of the sinner problem, to use Hitler's terminology. He wiped out the whole human race. You get it? God took this approach um, with the flood. Uh, I mean, I don't like to use them both in the same sentence, but fact of the matter is, where do you have a, an extermination campaign? Well, the first one's in the Bible, baby. Right? The first extermination campaign is the Bible. Uh, really? I mean, men, women, children? Yep. <laughs> That's what happened. You know, one boatload of a few people survived. The rest of humanity, I'll say it again, the men, the women, the children, the babies, and all the rest of it, uh, this would not work in a liberal congregation today. You know, I don't know how the liberals are, are uh, you know, dealing with this kind of story. But, you know, because why punish the children and all the rest of it? But it happened. However, uh, it won't happen again, you see? Now, there's a great vort I saw. I have a book called, Tid, I guess you'd call it Tidbits from the Kabbalists. Like so from the Musra cook from long ago, Biuri Amakavon Benigla. You know, and they have here from uh Zrachi Good you, you probably never even heard of this guy. Um there was a big Sephardi rabbi in the early sixteen hundreds, Zrachi Gutta, who was in uh you know, Turkey, he was Talmud of Marit, and then later in the Yushalim and later in, in Mitzrayim. He learned together, I think, with the Prichadish. You know, one of those smart Sephardi guys. But he had terrible mazel. He wrote a lot of farm, none of them ever got published. Isn't that something? You know, and his, after he died, his son went to Venice to get him published. My father was a great man, which he was. He has on Shas and Rambam and all the rest of it. It's a bad luck. It's a bad luck. Nothing, didn't get published. Guess what? Five years ago, his Shas and Chubas got published. You'll never believe by who. Um, what do you call it? Uh, Carlin Stolen. Isn't that funny? Because the Carl and Stone Rebbe, they have their Geniza, where they have uh, a, a collection of choice, uh, you know, manuscripts, type of thing that Stefanski auctions off, you know. So the Rebbe's, over the last 200 years, among other things, collected this ama- unbelievable collection of Kisviyat and things like that. And uh, this is a Hasidic group doing for a Sephardi rabbi. And five years ago, I think it was five years ago, they published this, I forget what it's called, Zerach Shalom, something like that. Uh, not every great Godel, you know, had good mazel. But I want to tell you a great word from him. And that is, 
that it says Harm Yamushua goes to Mutena, but Khazimikhlo the mountains will 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 melt before I, I give up on you. Amrizrachi Guta He Harm Bagvors Halolohim Masha Kosiv I'll call Giva uh I'll call uh uh Gavo I'll call whatever the expression is Atso Azona. Uh I'll call Har Gavoa and a call valley I'd give it uh, to Arizona. Notice what he means is like this, and it's especially Tzugapas for Yeshayahu. What was the story of the prophet Isaiah? He had Ochaz as a king, then Chizkiah and Menashe. There was plenty of Odezer going on his time, even though the guy in the middle, Chizkiah, tried to get rid of it. But sadly, under Ochaz, let's say, every mountain and valley had another Geshe, another church of some sort or another. All kinds of voters are all over the place. I may remind you that when Chizki became the king and he wanted to clean up the base of Migdash to get it ready for Pesach, he had to make an extra Ador Shane, even though it was too late to do so, because he needed four, another four weeks just to clean up the temple from all the idols and things. I always say it's like an Italian funeral home, you know, with all the little statues and things like this carved into the walls and who knows what. So he, you know, he, he learned like this. At Harm Yamusha, I go to Mutena that. Kasher Edim Halol Kayomim Yisrom is Baishemheim. If the Jewish people, even if now they want to repent, and they have a terrible busha, they look at the mountain and this mountain. I used to, you know, sacrifice children. On this mountain, I used to eat trade. We used to have a ham sandwich, uh, you know, orgy or something like that. Whatever. They did crazy things in the time of the Tanakh. You know that. Uh, but and you promised, Yeshaya says, that I'll remove the boshes from your youth. Okay? Therefore, he says that, you know, there will come some kind of a flood or something like it in Eretz Yisrael, Hermia Musho, that the, the mountains will take a change. In other words, they'll, they'll seriously change the landscape. It's very funny because I know from Josephus and uh, other, a few other places that when you go to Yerushalayim today, you don't know what it was like long ago because Shlomo Melch and these other kings filled in areas between the mountains. They redid everything. Those they did radical plastic surgery on the karka of Eretz Yisrael. And Zerachi Gutter, this famous rabbi, would say, "Well, that's good because you don't have to see the places that embarrass you where you used to do it." Uh, I imagine, because I'm FFP, but I imagine that somebody, let's say, for example, I'm making this up. I imagine somebody making uh, used to wasn't from then became from. So he used to go, let's say it was a crab house. This is Maryland, you know, they do, you know, crabs and things, oysters, whatever. So the guy used to eat there every uh, Sunday. Now he became from, he drives by, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. You can say, that's what I used to be, but I've gotten out of that. Or you can say this, <laughs> Oh, do I have to look at that place when I remember what I did over there? Oh my goodness. You know, it's a terrible embarrassment. You get it? And then one day, the crab house goes out of business, and now it's sold as a carpet store. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> you get it? You know that? I don't have to see the place where I have to be reminded of all the sins that I did. Now, it could be a place you ate. It could be a place you did some other of era. You know, I ain't going into your personal life. But you understand that uh, the nature of the Canaanite religions was such that on every mountain and every valley, there used to be Jewish established uh, churches and idolatry centers. And the prophet is saying over here, because this is a glorious prophecy of Nechama, that don't worry, uh, you know, the mountains will go away. I'll cause 
let's say, for example, modern state of Israel, and they'll destroy that mountain building a road over it now because Israel's now building a lot of roads, which is a good thing, you know? Uh, and therefore, you want to, you'll know um, archaeologically and historically there used to be a mountain there, but now that mountain's been cut through. And the honest truth is like this. You say, oh, well, we don't see what the mountain was long ago. Maybe you don't want to see what the mountain was like long ago. Who knows what Jews did there long, long ago when they had their own country. Uh, the history of the Jewish people in Israel, especially in biblical time, is not all glorious, let me put it that way. So it's just very interesting that he would use this kind of idea. That's not the way we usually interpret it, but I simply wanted to point out that the concept of a flood is one that does, you know, uh, fit Jewish history because these terrible things come in great you know, uh, like a flood and, and sweep everything, and then they go away, and then you don't know the flood was there, right? When Noah gets out of the ark, I mean, you wouldn't know the flood was there. Stuff was already sprouting back. Um, now, he knew it got, got killed, but, you know, you couldn't see it. So, um, we can only hope, that this is a, a, a Nevoah of Nechama, that we've seen the last of those things, I hope, so do you, and, you know, all we're, we're just going to stay permanently uh, in a in a state of uh, you know recovery, let's put it that way, because Eretz Israel today, as it's turned out, has been quite a recovery uh, from the Holocaust. You, you know, you can't make up what was lost, but uh, but you know what I mean. Those, but you can make it that the that Judaism and the Jewish people um, are certainly not lost and are and are um, how should I put it, flourishing in a way that make Hitler turn over in the grave. Anyway, that's what I'm going to show. Once again, I want to thank Lou Goldberg and his wife for sponsoring this. I wish them all the time on the, uh, on the engagement of the grandchildren. And with this, I bid you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.